Hello and welcome to the Scottish Politics Podcast. I'm David Clegg, your host, and each week we look past the headlines to get to the heart of what's happening at Holyrood. You join me on a big week for the Scottish Constitutional Debate, as we are one day away from the publication of the SNP's long-awaited Growth Commission report. We'll be talking about that, First Minister's question, and the impact of Brexit on the NHS. But first, let me introduce my two guests. From the SNP this week, we have Kate Forbes, and from the Conservatives, we have Miles Briggs. Uh, Kate is the SNP MSP for Sky, Lockyer and Badenoch, uh, and Miles represents Lovian for the Conservatives. Now, both Miles and Kate were elected in 2016, and while they're very different politically, I think there are some parallels in that both of them have run very successful and impressive campaigning, I think. Miles on uh, Frank's Law and Kate on Plastic Straws. And both of you, I guess, were um, worked a little bit in politics before you were elected. You both worked for MSPs previously, is that right? That's right. Could you maybe tell me, just to start before we get on to the issues, how have you found it now we're two, two years in, effectively, that you've been MSPs? Is it what you imagined? What's the highlights? What's the lowlights? What, what, what about that, Kate? Do you want to start? Well, I think when you come in, you don't really know what to expect because it's not just like any new job. It's a new job, but with the public and the press watching everything you say and everything you do. So it's very exposed. So I think two years in, whilst my main focus in trying to serve my constituency and winning investment mm-hmm. and making sure that public services are as good as possible, whilst that core vision hasn't changed... I'm probably a bit more relaxed and a bit more confident in how I do it without fear of being tripped up at any every point. I read your interview in Hollywood Magazine this month um, and it said, I, I was quite struck, you said you were, over the summer, you were thinking, I don't know if I, if I, if you were wanting to come back or that you were feeling it was a bit on top of yours or how, how would you describe that? Well, I think that, and I would say for most MSPs, they feel the burden of public service. We obviously get roasted regularly, but at the end of the day, everybody's here because they have a sense of public duty. And I would say in my constituency, you know, you feel the challenges personally. My family, friends all, all live in the constituency. So when there are difficulties, when there are issues, it's not just my work that I go to try and solve the problems and then leave them behind. You feel the burden of trying to make life better for people. And that can cripple you if you think that it all rests on your shoulders, which of course it doesn't. But as a new MSP, you're learning how to serve people whilst at the same time seeing the bigger picture that you can't solve every problem. And what really matters is the extent to which you genuinely care, have compassion and try and do what you can do with honesty and integrity. Miles, what what about you? I know you're still very young, but it feels like you had been hanging around the Scottish Parliament for quite a while before you were elected. I think that's a compliment. (laughs) Um, What's what's your reflections on being an MSP two years ago? I think I agree with a lot, or most actually, of what Kate just said. There's obviously no guidebook for us to pick up and Mm. say, right, this is how we do it. So I think I'm seeing, anyway, colleagues across the Parliament really starting to come out of their shell. Um, Not that they're ever shy, but come out of their shell in terms of being MSPs. And, and, you know, we're getting into the business end of this Parliament, so it's important for people. You know, just this week, there's been quite a few colleagues uh, announcing the bills they want to uh, take forward. So I think we're seeing people actually really becoming parliamentarians. It takes time to learn the trade. I think that's one thing which I um, certainly have found that what you think would be the job abs- absolutely isn't 
And the seven-day week job um, is something which, um, you know, when you work for someone, you see them having that life, but you don't really know until you're doing it yourself that, you know, you grab your time off when you possibly can. But, um, you know, I always think myself lucky. I live in Edinburgh, I represent Edinburgh, and work in Edinburgh in terms of the parliament here, so I don't have the sort of commutes that Kate will have. Um, So I can go and do things in the evenings and feel like I'm achieving uh, quite a good working day, really. And I think that's sometimes where... um, what I would say to anyone sort of coming into politics and being elected is try to get your wins and, and enjoy those. I know that sounds a bit strange, but yeah. if you feel you've achieved something for a constituent or a campaign, then at least you can sort of feel right, I've achieved something. Because for, for a wee while, I felt, apart from turning up to do this job, I wasn't sort of delivering for my constituents. But a few areas, uh, when you get results, you get a buzz. Maybe it's just me. But no, it's something Kate's I, shaking uh, her head in agreement there. Um, actually, I'll just before we move on, let me talk about actual politics but the, the doing this podcast one thing that I've noticed is that I'm obviously trying to think who will get on so I'm looking down the list of MSPs and actually I think that 2016 intake of new MSPs there was a lot of talent came into this place that in that election uh, and I do think it's interesting to see how, the, how the, those careers develop anyway as I, as I mentioned at the start the the growth commission report is due to be published tomorrow we've seen some trails uh, in the newspapers and on the TV programmes through the week. We're very lucky to have Kate here because Kate sat on the Growth Commission, so she's probably restricted about what she's allowed to tell me at this stage, but we'll try and wheedle as much out of her as possible. Uh, I'll maybe start with you on it, Kate. Um, can you tell me what you can about what your role was on the Growth Commission and what you hope it will achieve? Well, I'm really excited about the publication of the Growth Commission tomorrow because I think the contents of it are really ambitious and exciting, and I hope that whatever our views are on Scotland's future, we can recognise that it shows um, how Scotland can emulate the world's uh, best performing small advanced economies, how we can close the growth gap and how we can drive GDP per head um, to the median of some of these best performing economies. The Chamber is often dominated by calls for, for, for greater growth in Scotland, And that has become even more of an imperative with Brexit looming on the horizon and with the impact of Brexit already being felt. And so the report highlights the strengths of Scotland's uh, economic assets and advantages, whether that's natural resources, whether that's the skill set of the people who live in Scotland or the sectors that are already doing exceptionally well, whether that's our our food and drink or, or other sectors. And the Commission uh, tried to identify ways in which Scotland could match the success of other small countries using powers available now, but also using powers that we don't have currently with uh, independence. What, just, 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 just to stay with you for the, for the time being, Kate, what, what exactly was your involvement or how did this process come about? Can you just tell us a bit about the background of how it was set up and, you know, was there regular meetings or who else was involved and just how, how, how this piece of work has actually been done? Well, the Growth Commission was set up by the First Minister in September 2016 with the remit to look at ways which we could grow Scotland's economy. And it was chaired by the very able Andrew Wilson, who was previously a, an MSP in the Scottish Parliament, but who is now one of the founding partners of uh, Charlotte Street uh, Partners. And it caught called on the expertise of a whole host of different people. What's quite important is that it wasn't just elected members. So yes, elected members like myself, Derek Mackay, 
um, sat on the Growth Commission, but it drew on the expertise of professionals, uh, business owners and uh, businessmen and women, and sought to look at the Scottish economy more broadly than just the politics of it. We met, obviously, um, often to discuss things, particularly at the early stage, and we, it calls on, on the expertise of a whole host of different people and all drawn together by Andrew Wilson. Miles, the, the Conservative perspective on this is that it's an unwanted distraction from day-to-day government, is that right? Well, I think what would have been interesting, if this was actually about how we get our economy growing, how we actually work towards um, a more productive society, because that's the way we're going to grow our tax base, um, and fund our public services, I think probably that would be welcome. I think what it really is, is a cover for restarting uh, the independence campaign. And, you know, this is two years on since Nicholas Sturgeon... Well, the First Minister said that explicitly, that it was about restarting the debate. Yeah, and so is the focus really on our economy? Because after 11 years, we know that Scotland's not been growing, it's not got the productivity levels it, it needs. And you know, I hope what comes out of uh, potentially the work which Andrew's done, you know, that's one thing I will agree with. I think Andrew Wilson's a thoughtful guy. I've got a lot of time for him. Um, and so I hope maybe on the side of this, there will be issues that the government actually concentrate on in terms of how we get our economy moving forward. After 11 years, there's three years left in this parliament. We need to do things if we're going to actually grow our economy, create the jobs and growth we all want to see. And so on a positive, I hope that's something we can all uh, pick over. But if this is really just cover for um, another independence referendum, and this is obviously turning on its head the white paper, which we were told was the blueprint uh, for an independent Scotland. Now, how can we believe what the SNP are saying on these two things? If they're going to be completely different uh, since the last referendum, um, when we were told by Alex Salmon and Nicola Sturgeon that that was a blueprint which would be Scotland's future. Now we're going to have something completely polar opposite to that, potentially. Um, I think that's something which people will sort of just be fed up with and, and want to see the government get back to the things they should be concentrating on in here. I'll, uh, we'll get on to the independence issue uh, in a moment, but the SNP uh, strategists have been at pains to, when they're briefing journalists like me to say a lot of this will be about uh, what can be done with the powers that we have now to improve the economy. Will the Conservatives treat that element of the report with an open mind and engage with it or is it just going to be a universal I don't want to listen to this well we'll have to wait and see what's in it I think that's uh, you know we're having this conversation when we've not really um, seen there's been a lot of trailing going on like you say by by the SNP if that's the sort of easy things they want to actually sell then some of the harder questions which um, really we need as a parliament and, and as politicians to be asking about our economy be interesting to see if they actually touch on those because they're not the sort of uh, questions that populist campaigns to try to put together another independence campaign necessarily they'll want to touch on and it's it's these kind of if it's in someone else's interest it will happen which was all throughout the white paper if that's what this is going to be about I think most people will think it's it's not worth the paper it's written on. And I think we'll wait and see once it's published. But we want to, and it's been our focus uh, as a Conservative Party in this Parliament, work across parties to make sure that we can grow our economy, support businesses across our country, because at the end of the day, we need that for the funds which are going to fund our public services into the future. Kate, how big a problem is currency for the independence project? Well, I think that I would hope, rather, that tomorrow when the Growth Commission publishes its report, that it does 
elevate the debate to be a little bit more mature and a little bit more balanced, not only about what's happening just now when it comes to growth, but also about, about the future economy um, with independence. And currency will form a part of that. Currency is important in the sense that it's what we, we use um, day in, day out. But at the end of the day, I think what people want to see is economic growth. Economic growth drives income. Economic growth drives a job creation. Economic growth is ultimately what people want for the security and stability to go about their daily business. Currency is what we see in a tangible form. Far more important than currency is economic growth. And what the Growth Commission has done is look at lessons that we can learn from other economies across the world. We know, if we know anything, that the current model in the United Kingdom is not working when it comes to economic growth. If it were working, then not just Scotland, but the rest of the UK would much have, a, have a much faster and higher growth rate than it currently does, because it's largely concentrated in London and the South East at the moment. So the current model is not working. Therefore, the question facing Scotland is what are the lessons that we can learn from other small advanced economies and uh, bring to Scotland? And I mean, one of the key things in that, I would say, is around migration, population. We want to attract people to live and work in Scotland. We see that right across business sector, NHS, and we currently don't have the means to attract people because immigration is not a devolved issue. Yeah, but, but the, it's, it's going to come back again and again to what currency are we going to be using? Of course, that's a, that's a, that's going to be the big issue tomorrow. We've seen some reports that it's uh, going to recommend uh, eventually setting up a separate Scottish currency. Can you confirm if that's the case? Well, I would hope that tomorrow, and I'm sure you will be ready and waiting for the publication, and it's a hefty document with a lot of detail. Have you, have you read the final version? Mm. I have read the, um, the, the, the report, and I think it's, in terms of um, pieces of work, it, I've never been so confident and comfortable backing a piece of political research as I am the Growth Commission. Right. And my hope, More confident again, than you were about the white paper in 2014. Well, times have moved on since 2014. I mean, take Brexit, for example. The challenges that Brexit throws up, say, around population, have changed dramatically. So it makes sense that we respond to those changed circumstances. And that's what I hope the Growth Commission will do tomorrow. Now, I respect Miles. He will have a different view on Scotland's constitutional future to me. But I respect his right to have that view. And he's an intelligent person. And I hope that people in his shoes will not just dismiss it and give it the political treatment when it is actually a very, uh, a very sort of important and serious contribution, I think, to the economic debate. Miles, just picking up on Kate's point, the Conservatives tweeted something during the week which basically said, oh, give it a rest. Nicola, are you, you comfortable with that tone? Or, or do you think that the Conservatives should be a bit more open to the discussion? I think that's where uh, the public are. And I think you know, we're going to disagree on that in terms of our different uh, political hats, which we wear. But I think, you know, Kate mentioned Brexit. I think one of the things is all the uncertainty around Brexit um, is actually something which the public have picked up on. They've had enough and they want to see politicians working to get the best deal. The idea that then jumping 
to independence. I think the SNP have misjudged where the public are with more constitutional upheaval when they've seen the uncertainties of coming out of a 40-year-old union, another 300-year-old one. And, and to go back to the currency issue, I think that's actually really critical. And I imagine since 2014, this is where the SNP have really been finding this question absolutely difficult to answer. And it's something which clearly really probably cost them uh, the referendum because people see the UK wide market, they see it's our largest market for trading and and then they see the pound and that's where actually um, people want to keep the pound. If you ask anyone in Scotland, it's it's their currency and we want to make sure that we're able to, to protect that. And I think for the SNP now to jump to this position of potentially wanting a Scottish currency, which, you know, it's already started to be unpicked, Professor Ronald McDonald from... Um, Glasgow University's Adam Smith Business School started to suggest that actually we need three hundred billions billion pounds to be able to to have that situation. You know, there's more questions they will potentially put in people's minds out there, which begs the question: actually, is independence actually something people want to take a risk on in the future? And I think, you know, we'll see what's in this report. We'll see. Uh, I hope there's something uh, positive for us to start working on because the SNP have had 11 years to try to get our economy uh, moving. It's gone nowhere really under Nicola Sturgeon. I think that's something which eventually they'll be judged on as well at the next election. Kate, do you think Miles has a point about whether there's a public appetite for this discussion on independence again so quickly? Obviously, the SNP lost a lot of MPs last year, and it's widely been put down to that call for a second referendum in March. Is that, is that, does that worry you? Well, I do think that what the public want to see is the politicians that they've elected doing their job. And in this case, that means making Scotland a better place to live, work and do business. This report goes right to the heart of that because it's not just about the airy-fairy or wouldn't it be nice. It's about tangible and meaningful recommendations for getting our economy growing faster, not just with powers in the near, you know, in the distant future, but with things that we can do right now. As I said before, there are constant calls in the chamber to grow the economy. We're already doing a lot. Um, you already look at our, our assets and advantages around different sectors, food and drink, the renewables industry, tourism, they're growing, but we could do more. And what we see is that small advanced economies are generally growing um, or being doing better than the current model that we have in the United Kingdom, which is heavily concentrated in London and the South East. That model is not working for Scotland. The UK's immigration policies are not working for Scotland. Investment priorities are not working for Scotland. Therefore, we need to look at what powers we do have right now, what powers we might have with independence to grow our economy faster. The First Minister's questions today was pretty much dominated by the Growth Commission report, both for Labour and the Tories, Richard Leonard and for Labour and Ruth Davidson for the Conservatives did a device of starting about with the Growth Commission and then pivoting to public services to try and put that contrast together there, which I think is a, t- a technique we'll get from the, the unionist parties uh, more as we as we go through this discussion. Just on the from a Conservative perspective, though, Miles, Kate mentioned immigration there, and there was a report this week from the BMA or comments by, from the, the British Medical Association in Scotland about the impact that Brexit is going to have on the NHS. They're very, very concerned that we won't be able to get enough skilled workers that, that the NHS needs. Now, as a Conservative arguing against constitutional change on the independence issue, puts you in a difficult position, doesn't it, that, uh, that 
the constitutional change that's being steered through by your party, uh, the UK government, is, is, is causing problems right now, not theoretical problems in the future. So I'm just wondering how you respond to that. Well, in terms of um, a report which actually the Health and Sport Committee, which uh, Kate and I both sit on, um, highlighted lots of aspects of Brexit where we need to make sure that we protect our Scottish and UK-wide NHS. And I think that's something we um, agree a lot on, actually, the sport and Health and Sport Committee is how we, we try to make sure that happens, because that's fundamentally important. Um, but I really go back to the point, and, you know, again, the fact that we haven't had a workforce plan in Scotland for 11 years for our NHS. So, you know, when the people of uh, the United Kingdom voted for Brexit, that didn't start... Uh, the under-resourcing uh, of our health service in terms of staff. We never had that workforce plan and I look across Scotland and, and see so many areas where actually we've been short of staff way before Brexit was even on uh, the radar. So I can see the SNP just constantly want to use Brexit as the reason for a lot of their own failings, but I think we can get ourselves into a position where once we know the skills we need in our country, and, and that's UK-wide as well, we can start being then able to make sure that we can we can bring people and encourage them to come and live and work here. But beyond that, and it's something I've been banging on about since I was elected, I think we need to really look at who we train in Scotland. Because under the SNP, we've seen the number of Scottish domiciled medical students collapse from about two-thirds at Scotland's medical schools to just over 50%. And so I think we need to ask ourselves a lot of questions about how we actually but just get the, staff in place. On the main point, though, you, you voted main, I'm right in mm-hmm. saying. I mean, Brexit is going ahead. Are you are you not scared about the impact that it's going to have? Are you comfortable with where the negotiations are? Do you think that it's been handled well? I think the key is to work through the complications. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say Brexit's going to be an easy thing to deliver. It's not. Sadly, the Prime Minister can't go to her shelf and get the book saying how to deliver Brexit. She's got to work through this. Um, I've been amazed, actually, the progress she's made, to be quite honest, in terms of getting negotiations to date. Um, In terms of our health service, um, it's making sure that we can future-proof it, and it's something I've been wanting and and trying to get... uh, as looking at as a parliament, because I think the workforce planning we've not done correctly in this country is key in the future. And it was raised at FMQs today, you know, these radiography uh, radiography shortage we've known for a while, and we're now sending a lot of these uh, scans to Australia to be read. Now, what's been going on within government here to actually address these issues? Because we can't just blame them all on Brexit. Kate, what's your thoughts on... You have made it quite clear that you think Brexit's causing major problems. Why do you think it is that it hasn't led to a noticeable increase in support for independence? Because there was the view beforehand that Brexit would be a a boom for Scottish independence, that people would want to use independence as a lifeboat from the the Brexit car crash. doesn't really seem to have happened yet, does it? Well, I think that, you use the word car crash, I think that not only was the Brexit referendum, but the way that Brexit has been handled has been a car crash. Now again, I'm a Democrat, I respect how people voted. But the way that it has been handled has been utterly chaotic. And I think a lot of people look at the absolute shambles in the UK government when it comes to negotiating our position and uh, just doing the business of government. They look at that and they don't want more uncertainty. However, I would also say that I know many people who have made the switch from no to yes because... They do not want to be tied to a UK government 
that is taking us off a cliff edge and down the tube, to mix my metaphors. <laughs> we were talking about the NHS there, and Miles said that um, problems around uh, recruitment didn't just emerge with Brexit. Well, in part, I agree. My greatest fear is that the immigration policies of the UK government that we have seen to date in terms of the hostile environment, in terms of tightened immigration policies, are not new with Brexit, but they are going to get colossally worse with Brexit. In terms of doctors, for example, the chief executive of NHS employers in England has said that he is aware of at least 400 doctors who haven't been able to enter the country to take up posts. Now that's pre-Brexit. If this UK government is in charge of our immigration policy post-Brexit, when a there are a thousand EU registered doctors across Scotland, then I do fear for our workforce in Scotland. And that's what the BMA made clear. Yeah. And you did, just, just one second, Miles, you did say that maybe people don't want more uncertainty. Do you think there is a risk for the independence movement then that the rather chaotic Brexit process is going to make people more risk-averse when it comes to constitutional change? Well, I think that the important thing actually tomorrow is that with the publication of the Growth Commission, it hopefully will allow us to have a genuinely mature debate about the Scottish economy now and potentially with independence. What hasn't happened over the last two years since Brexit, I think, is that maturity in our debate about where we want our country to go. So in looking at the chaos and dealing with the, the fallout from a, a government that is leaderless, bluntly, people have not been able to have a mature debate about where we want the country to go. What I would like to see is people feeling able to really grapple with the big issues that face society and as a result of that decide whether actually they would be best served with having all the levers in our own hands. Is the truth, Miles, not that the Conservatives are rubbing their hands with glee at the thought of another independence debate? Because it's the best thing that's happened to you as a party, isn't it? Not really. I think in, in reality... You know, we're we're trying to focus on the next Scottish Parliament election to try to win that, and the SNP clearly are trying to refight an election or a referendum they've lost, and you know it's completely up to. Do you, do you think to, that last year the Conservatives obviously had a great success in Scotland uh, in the snap general election in June last year? Do you think that was can be attributed to Nicola Sturgeon's decision to call for that second referendum in March? I, I think partly. I don't think you could just say that. What I, what I find actually really interesting is some of the research which has been done, which shows about 40% of you know identifying SNP voters voted for Brexit. Now, if they're watching television and hearing Nicola Sturgeon, they won't be voting for her anytime soon again. And I think that's where she's not had the sort of Brexit bound she thought she would. But you know, I think what's really important when you look at sort of constitutional uh, big debates like this is most most of the time you need time out of office to actually put together that coalition again. And the success which we saw Alex Salmond uh, build by linking voters and building a situation where you could win Red Clyde side and also Royal D side in the same election, Nicola Sturgeon can't any longer. And I think what we're seeing is uh, normal politics almost resuming. And I'm not sure the SNP in office will have to decide if they want to be a government or if they want to be independence fighters. And I think if that's their key thing, getting out of office will present them with that opportunity. But fundamentally, when you look at politicians, and uh, Margaret Thatcher was mentioned today, uh, yet again in the, the chamber, Nicholas Sturgeon... A hero of yours? 
She's not actually, you know, it's before my time. I was born in 1983. I don't know about it. But um, in terms of Nicola Sturgeon, she is now one of the most polarising people in Scottish politics. I'm not sure the SNP uh, need to start with looking at these sorts of growth commissions. They need to look at actually who's going to lead them in the future and who's going to pick up this project because it's something people in Scotland have had enough of now. And, you know, the longer the SNP ram this down people's throats and try to continue to to make these arguments, I think people just get fed up and drift to other parties. And I think that's something we've seen in a number of elections. And unless the SNP and many SNP MSPs keep saying, I'm getting on with the day job, but until they truly do that, I think they're going to struggle. And I think actually people will, will start to look for other parties uh, to deliver for them, if that's the case. Kate, personally, how... Where would you rank independence in your political priorities? Well, people often accuse me of being a bit obsessed with independence. I would say that I'm obsessed with trying to make Scotland a better place to live, work and do business. And you think that's now, the best way to do that? I think if you look at uh, the opportunities, take other small advanced economies, because that's the theme of the day, they regularly outperform larger economies when it comes to growth because they're more flexible, they can respond to crises faster, um, they generally have more responsive governments. When I look at the potential we could have as a small advanced economy, alongside places like Denmark, New Zealand, Finland, I think we could do so much more. Do I say that independence is the thing I fight for day in, day out? Well, I'm, I'm busy with education, with healthcare, with the constituency problems that come into my inbox. But do I think that independence and having all the levers at our disposal would make Scotland a better place? Yes. When would you like to see the second independence referendum? I think once we've been able to have this mature debate that I talked about, once people have been persuaded that having the full levers around things like immigration, around economics, once we have those levers in our hand, we can make better decisions. Once people are persuaded of that, that's the right time. Miles, do you think you'll see an, another re- independence referendum anytime soon? I don't, because I think actually when you look at um, Nicola Sturgeon, what the SNP are now doing, um, they're working towards an electoral timetable around their project. So 2021, um, I think both the Greens and the SNP will, will struggle actually to, to be returned here. And that's something which um, then for the voters is their opportunity to make sure that we do take this off the table. Nicola Sturgeon, I think, could have been a different politician by now. She could have actually looked towards um, making what she said was her focus, uh, her number one focus, education. Um, it just feels like actually she's obsessed with independence. And I think the public see that and feel that. And the longer that becomes the narrative the SNP are only willing to talk about, and we're going to have, I take a whole summer of this again now. Um, now that's fine for a base, that's fine for SNP members, and obviously there's a conference in a few weeks, so a cynic might say she had to do something like this to keep her own party on board and happy, but um, I just don't see it. I think people spent two years, and I spent that time knocking on doors and speaking to so many people, they really thought this through, they voted, and I meet a lot of people who are quite angry that this government hasn't listened to that, and this is what democracies are all about, how we put our arguments to the people, and then the manner by which we live by their decisions, and I think people feel that Nicola's not listened to them. Okay, we're nearly running out of time, there's just one other story I wanted to touch on, which is on the front page of our paper, The Daily Record, this morning, and... Uh, also was raised in First Minister's questions. It's quite a, 
uh, a disturbing picture actually that came out of an employment tribunal uh, in regards to uh, Marine Scotland uh, and there's a picture of a woman who is bound and gagged and, and claims that um, this was part of bullying in, in the workplace and she's obviously a civil servant and Marine Scotland's a Scottish government agency. This is up in your neck of the woods near Kifnes. Kate, you, you must have been pretty concerned about this. Well, it is quite a horrifying photograph that many people have seen today on the, the front page. And, you know, bullying, abuse, sexism, racism, misogyny have absolutely no place in the workplace. And I think we have to be crystal clear about that. There is a process to go through with this particular case. There is an ongoing employment tribunal and I understand that there's also an ongoing internal investigation. And so, you know, MSPs will be somewhat limited in what they can say. Sure. But I know that the, the First Minister said at FMQs that she'd asked the Permanent Secretary to conduct a full review of the circumstances of the case. Miles, you, you're happy the government do seem to be taking this seriously today, the Minister's review. Yeah, no, I think that's where, you know, consensus across the chamber was uh, achieved today. And, you know, I saw your front page and thought it was some sort of hostage situation this morning um, before I read the story. So, um, you know, it's just completely unacceptable. I think for most people, they'll find it pretty unbelievable that this goes on in their workplace. And, and I hope whatever comes out of this is actually there's, there's a way of making sure that across workplaces... This, you know, just bullying is worse than bullying, really, when you look at that image. Um, you know, it's prevented in the future, and that's something which I hope is not just uh, going to be discussed, but actually the First Minister follows this up across our public services and make sure that we never see images like that again. Great. OK, well, that's pretty much all we've got time for. Uh, we will be back next week uh, and read the Daily Record and Daily Record Online for all the information on the Growth Commission report when it's published tomorrow. Uh, and we'll see you next week. Cheers.